Jesus' name. Amen. As I say, I want to look at Nehemiah and look at some of the characteristics in the life of Nehemiah and some of the characteristics that we in, as men and women of God need to be aiming towards uh, to be a, 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 as we follow Nehemiah's example and, of course, follow the Lord Jesus' example. First of all, we need to look at who this man was. Verse 1 gives us the answer there. He was uh, the son of Hakaliah. Verse 11, we're told he's the king's cupbearer. So he would have held a position of great honor uh, in, the, in the palace of Shushan. He, was a, he had a confidential access to the king. And although Nehemiah was brought up in exile in Babylon, his faith is firmly fixed in the God of Israel. Uh, we see there he, he in uh, chapter 7, verse 7, it tells us that he returned from Babylon with Zerubbabel. Nehemiah was listed in chapter 10 and verse 1 there as a, a prince or a governor, but he's not listed amongst the priests. In chapter 9, his name means uh, Jehovah has consoled, or comfort of Jehovah. And his Persian name was uh, Shabazar, as we see in Ezra 1 and verse 8. And he became the governor of Judah, we're told there in chapter 5 and verse 14, for a 12-year period. Alexander White, in one of his commentaries, says that Nehemiah was a self-contained man, a man who of his own counsels, a man with the counsel of God alone in his mind and in his heart, a reserved and resolute man, a man who took command of others, a man who uh, will see things with his own eyes and without the eyes of other, without the eyes of others seeing him, a man of no haste or hurry. When he begun, he before he begun he would count at a cost, and he did not stop until he finished the tasks. That's what Alexander White says about him. So, what are the characteristics we see in this man of God? Well, the first thing we see is his concern, and we see his care there in verse 2. Uh, when he heard about the people of Jerusalem, he was concerned and he cared for them. He's a selfless man who, lo who loves and cares enough to ask about people. And a man or a woman of God should be a person who is interested in people. This man was interested in their well-being. He's concerned for their well-being. And Nehemiah asks about the Jewish people. And someone at once said, and I'm sure you've often heard it quoted, people don't care what you believe until they believe that you care. And this was a man who cared for the people. A man or a woman of God is moved with compassion. It's the second thing we notice about Nehemiah. When Jesus saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion. When he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, wandering aimlessly uh, through life. And do we ever wonder as we see a large crowd, do we ever wonder how many of those people we will see in heaven? Is there any of them saved in that crowd? Or are they all lost and going to a Christless hell? That question often comes to me when I walk down a busy street, whether it be in Plymouth or Exeter or somewhere else. We see in verse 4 here that this man of God was moved to tears for others. When he saw the circumstances, circumstances that they found themselves in and that should be our response as well we should be moved to tears it says in psalm 126 and verse 5 those who sow in tears shall reap in joy he who continually goes forth weeping bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him we see here 
the mess that people's lives are in today all around us. And when we see the mess that people have made of their lives, when we see the mess family members have made of their lives, the sin, the addiction, the broken relationships, do, do we have that concern? Are we moved to tears as Nehemiah was? In verse 5, we see a man or a woman of God also is a person of prayer in times of difficulty, in times of crisis. In fact, we should always be people of prayer and we should bring everything to God in prayer. This man recognized his dependence upon God. And, uh, he recognized he needed God's power and he needs God's enabling. And it is wonderful to know tonight, no matter what situation we face in life, God knows all about it. He knows all about it. He knows about that situation before we bring it to him. He's not caught off guard. He knows, he cares, he wants to guide us through that situation. Whether it's a family problem, whether it's financial issues, whether it's grief, depression, ill health, doubt, fears, worries, we can bring those situations to the Lord in prayer. All can be brought to the Lord. And as we face an uncertain future, and over the past two years we've faced uh, many difficulties with the COVID situation, we can have that great assurance that nothing is uncertain with God. He knows the future. And the future and our future is in his hands. We also see a man or a woman of God will pray about the state of the country. As Nehemiah heard about Jerusalem and the state of Jerusalem and its people, he fasted and he prayed. He went into mourning for days there, it tells us. This was a man with a God-given burden for Jerusalem. And is this not what we need is this not we, what we need to ask God to give us a burden, a concern, a compassion for souls who are destined for hell? To my shame, I have to admit, I've never prayed like Nehemiah prayed here and prayed with the burden that he's prayed. And I think if all of us are being honest tonight, few of us, if any, have prayed as Nehemiah prayed. When have we wept for days at the state of our country? A country which rejects God a country which passes laws which are completely contrary to God's laws. We live in a country that thinks more, uh, has preservation orders on old buildings. It has preservation orders on, on trees. We have a man next door to us and there's a tree in, on, a, on the bounds, a big ash tree. And he wants to build a new house. He doesn't want the ash tree to fall on the new house, obviously. And he's got, we had to apply to Devon County Council to get a TPO order uh, uh, get permission to take that tree down. We live in a country that has preservation orders on trees and old buildings, yet we think nothing of the unborn child. Millions have been aborted over the years. A man or a woman of God prays about the state of the land and it grieves them as it grieves God when people reject his offer of forgiveness. A man or a woman of God has the right understanding of who they are coming to in prayer. See that there in verse 4. The God of heaven, almighty God, the one who created and sustains this world for thousands of years, the one and only true God, our heavenly Father, the one who we come to in repentance, the one we can confess our sins to, the only true God who come to live who will come to live our lives by the power of his Holy Spirit when we become believers.
Another thing we notice there in verse 5, a man or a woman of God has the right concept of the magnitude of God. The power, the authority, the holiness, the greatness, the love, the awesomeness of God. He's a covenant, promise-keeping God, our eternal Heavenly Father. The God who keeps his promise to those who love him and obey his commands. Verse 7, we see he's a God, or sorry, verse 10, we see he's a God of power and he's a God of strength. This is the God we worship. The only one who is truly worthy of worship tonight. Do we need to ask God to give us a new vision of himself and of his power and of his majesty? Those of us who have been saved for years sometimes can become so familiar with these truths. As Steve was saying earlier on, you can remember back to the time when we first became saved and we're filled and bubbling over with the joy of the Lord. But sometimes we can lose sight of the greatness of our God over the years. The thrill and the excitement of being saved when thousands around us are lost in their sin. And I think in my home area, I think myself and my sister are the only two Christians along that road that I am aware of. Why did God be merciful to me and not to them? It is wonderful to think of the love of God. In verse 6, we see a man or a woman of God will plead with God. There in verse 6. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant. He said, please be attentive. A man or woman of God will plead with God. They'll not give up easily. They'll be persistent in prayer. We see it in verse 6 as well. A man or a woman of God has the right view of themselves. He says, hear the prayer of your servant. A man or a woman of God has the right view of themselves. He, they are humble. They see themselves as God's servants, available to do his will, open to his will and plan and purpose for their lives. Whatever that may be and whatever that may cost. They live in the light of eternity. Others will see a difference in their lives. They know that, that a man or woman of God will know that this world's possessions and pleasures are passing. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? They know that their life is but a vapor that quickly passes away. They have a servant attitude, as Nehemiah had here. And, and the attitude should be, here am I, Lord. As for me, I will serve you. In verse 10, we see Nehemiah says, we are your redeemed servants. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We're bought back by the precious death of our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. We're no longer alienated. We're no longer enemies of God, but become the children of God, born again, new creations in Christ, no longer facing condemnation, the scriptures tell us, but we have passed from death to life. Our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us. Another thing we notice about a man or a woman of God is, in verse 6, they are persistent in prayer. Nehemiah didn't give up. It says there he prayed night and day. It says there in verse 6, he prayed night and day. He prayed regularly for this situation. It was on his mind, it was on his heart. 
night and day. And it's wonderful to know that we have a God who listens, a God who cares, a God who's available 24-7. We don't need an appointment. He's always, always available. It's not like when you ring up the, the doctor or some other uh, organization and you're put on hold and you're told that you're number 19 in the list and you wait for three quarters of an hour and you're still number 18 in the list. It's not like that with God. He's a personal God. He loves us. He cares for us. He understands us. God is infinite in wisdom. And we see here, sometimes he lays a burden upon our hearts. Sometimes we wake up in the middle of the night and somebody will come to our mind. Sometimes we're, sometimes we're just going about our daily business and some person or situation comes to our mind and God wants us to pray about that and just bring that situation to the Lord. That's the mystery of prayer. He lays something upon our hearts and in his timing, in his way, he answers our prayers. In verse 6, we also see another characteristic of a man or a woman of God. They are willing to acknowledge and confess sin. Whether it's personal sin or national sin, a true man or woman of God seeks to have a clean heart, a clean slate, no unconfessed sin between him and God. Clean hands and a pure heart, as the scriptures talk about. The scriptures tell us, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. It says in Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As we look at verse 7, we see Nehemiah named specific sin. They had failed to obey the commandments of God. And that's what we need to do. When God puts his finger upon something, we need to admit we've sinned and confess that sin, name that sin. In verse 11, God's man if he's living in obedience, be guided to where he can be used by God. We have to remember Nehemiah was in the king's presence, who is where God wanted them to be. And God's man or God's woman, if they're living in obedience, is guaranteed God's guidance. God has placed us where we are so that he can use us. It says in Psalm 32 and verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my own eye. God can use any of us, no matter what age we are, no matter what gifts or abilities we have, if we make ourselves available to him and seek his guidance. It's interesting we notice in chapter 2 and verse 2 that God's man will face times of fear. God's man or God's woman will face times of fear. Here's Nehemiah, he's petrified before the king. The last thing the king wanted around him in those days was somebody with a long face and with the weight of the, the world on their shoulders. They would not be tolerated very long. And we too will face fears. And that's why the word of God tells us 365 times not to fear, not be afraid. It says in Isaiah 41 verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will will help you. Nehemiah in chapter uh, 2 and verse 3 there explains the reason for his sadness. His sadness. In verse 4 we see this man of God he offers up a brief silent prayer before he gives the king an answer. 
little emergency prayer, if you like. And that tells me it's not the length of our prayers that matters. We've all been to prayer meetings, and I use the term airplane, airplane prayers. You've all been to a prayer meeting where somebody t- starts off and they get going in prayer and prayer, and you think they're just going to come into land, you think they're nearly finished, and they take off again. What I call airplane prayers. But in this passage here, we see this is a short emergency prayer, if you like, to God. And that tells me it's not the length of our prayers. It's the sincerity. I'm not, say, I'm not putting people down. If you want to pray long prayers, there's definitely a place for that. Don't misunderstand me. But God looks at the sincerity of our hearts. That's what counts. In chapter 2 and verse 8, Nehemiah saw tremendous answers to prayer. And God in his goodness gave, gave him favor before the king. He acknowledges this was God's doing. In chapter 9, or sorry, verse 9 of chapter 2, we see God provided for him. The king sent help with Nehemiah, provided all the timber he needed from his forest. And it's a bit like what Hudson Taylor said, God's work done God's way will not lack, lack God's supply. And God has promised in his word he will supply all of our needs. Not all of our greeds, but all of our needs. See there in verse 10 of chapter 2. As we all know that when God is at work, the old enemy is not pleased. And a man or a woman of God will always face opposition as they seek to do God's work. And Nehemiah faced opposition for doing and obeying God's will. The Jews are God's chosen people and the devil hates them and anyone who sought to help them. And we face opposition as we seek to obey and seek to, to do God's will. And sometimes that opposition will come from those we least expect. In chapter 2, verse 18, we see another mark or characteristic of a man or a woman of God. They have a vision. Vision to see God's will and God's work done. A man of God is an encourager of others. He told them how to get, uh, how God had helped him up until that point and had given him favor, favorable response before the king. God gave Nehemiah the vision of the need and he gave him strength and he gave him the leadership abilities to do this task. In chapter 2, verse 19, we see God's man will not only face opposition, but he'll face ridicule. He was laughed at. He was despised. And as believers, we will face ridicule. How can you, an intelligent person, believe in Adam and Eve in 2022? How can you possibly believe the Bible? You get all of those sort of remarks. But in chapter 2 and verse 20, Nehemiah had the answer for them. He says, the God of heaven will prosper us. The God of heaven will prosper us. His faith was not wavering under the pressure. If anything, he was becoming more determined. He says, we will arise and build. And God's man or woman is never afraid of hard work. In verse 18, chapter 2, it says, let us arise and build. Verse 20, they were doing it for God. We, his servant. Nehemiah was a gifted leader. And not everybody is called to be a leader. Not everybody is a natural leader. And not every man of God is called to be a leader, but we are all called to be servants. 
we're called to serve the Lord and to live for God and to use whatever talents he has given us and ask God to show us how we can serve him and how he wants us to serve him. Nehemiah was a servant of God who faced ridicule. We see that again in chapter 4, verse 4. He faced intimidation. They tried to discourage him in chapter 4, verse 4. They said to him, if a fox climbs up on that wall, it'll fall. And the enemy, the devil, comes with the exact same to us sometimes. He wants to discourage us. That discouragement is the devil's favorite tool. It's so easy to get discouraged when things don't go as we would like and as we plan. And it's easy to get disheartened. It's easy to feel like giving up. And that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. Especially when we get older in life. There's many a person who started off bright for the Lord. And as they get older, especially in the autumn of their life, they fall away from the Lord. And we need to be careful. It's easy to get disheartened and feel like giving up. The enemy here is questioning the quality of Nehemiah's work. He's saying if a fox climbs up that, it'll knock it down. In chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, we see the enemies of God come together against Nehemiah. The enemies joined together there. They were going to attack Jerusalem and create confusion. They were angry. And often when God is at work, those opposed to his work were joined together to cause problems. You often see that in a church situation. You'll have one person gets disgruntled and then they'll gather a little group around them and before you know it, you have a group of disgruntled people and before you know it, you have a, a, a disunity in the church. I'm not saying that's the situation here, but that often happens. We see in chapter 4, verse 9, Nehemiah knew exactly what to do when he faced that situation. He resorted to prayer. He brought the situation to the Lord in prayer. Chapter 4, verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 13. He, sent guard, he set guards over the lower points of the walls of Jerusalem. He took practical steps to guard the weak points of the wall. And that's what we need to do with our lives. All of us have weak points. Some of us know what our weak points are, and some of us don't. And sometimes it's very easy to let our guard down. And the devil gets in through our weak points. But he can also attack our strong points. Sometimes we think to ourselves, oh, I, would, I might fall in that area, but oh, I'd never fall there. The devil would never catch me out there. And we drop our guard. And that's where he strikes. Takes the feet from under us. We look at other Christians and we think, oh, I would never, ever fall in that area of my life. That's a weak point. Don't let your guard down. But Nehemiah resorted to prayer here, and he took practical steps. He set the soldiers in the weaker points of the wall. In chapter 4 and verse 14, Nehemiah takes, the le talks to, uh, takes leadership, and he reminds the people, he says, remember the Lord. Great and awesome. Chapter 4 and verse 14. He's reminding the people, don't look at the enemy. Don't listen to the enemy. Get your eyes out the enemy and get your eyes back on God's power and God's awesomeness. He says, remember the Lord. In chapter 14, sorry, chapter 4, verse 14, 
Nehemiah resisted the enemy. And what did he do? He returned to the work. He returned to God's work. And that's what God wants us to do. Keep on resisting the enemy and keep on doing God's work. In chapter two or chapter six and verses two and five, Nehemiah faced the persistent attacks of Sambalat and others. In chapter six, verse five, we see there the fifth time. He, he, he was attacked five times by Sambalat and, and others. He suffered because of his service. And serving God and obeying God's commands can often lead to problems. It can lead to difficulties. It can lead to suffering. There's a cost in following God's commands. All of us would love to get saved and have a happy, merry life and blissful walk to heaven, but it doesn't work like that. There are false cults and false religious groups telling you today, if you become a Christian, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and happy. It doesn't always work like that. We still have the same problems. We live in a sinful world. But praise God, we have his help and his enabling and his strength to help us along. Which we see in chapter 6 and verse 12, Nehemiah perceived that they were trying to trick him. They were trying to trick him. In chapter 6, verse 19, Tobias sent letters to try and frighten Nehemiah. And what does the devil do today? You watch any of your programs on television, you listen to the BBC news, listen to other news. What are they doing? Fear. You listen to the COVID situation, you listen to the Russian Ukraine situation. What does it make you feel? Fear, fear. And what does the devil want us to do? To be fearful. The devil loves to make us afraid. He wants us to worry about our health. He wants us to worry about our family. He wants us to worry about our finances. He wants us to worry about the future. He, want, he doesn't care as long as he gets us worrying and fearful. As we look at Nehemiah, and with this I'll close, in chapter 2, verse 19, and chapter 4, verse 2, he faced ridicule. Chapter 4, verses 7 to 23, uh, he, he, he faced fear, and he set a watch and a guard at, at the weak points of the wall. Nehemiah faced a sly, crafty, cunning behavior of his enemies. We see that in chapter 6, verses 2 to 4. He faced false accusation. They accused uh, Nehemiah of selfish motives there in chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, that he was trying to uh, make himself a leader and rebel against the king and wanting to be king. He was tempted to tempt God in chapter 6 and verses 10 to 13. They wanted him to hide in the temple as if he had done something wrong. He had former friends and associates that turned corrupt and reported back to Tobiah with letters and sent letters to frighten Nehemiah. We see that in chapter 6, verse 17 and 19. But let's finish on this positive note tonight. Verse 16 of chapter 16 there tell, of chapter 6 tells us God's work done God's way will bring glory to God. Even the enemies of God had to admit that this was all of God's doing. God's purpose was, will be accomplished no matter what the devil will throw at us. Let us go home on that positive note tonight. God is all-powerful. And he took one man, Nehemiah, and he used him for his glory. 
Will you ask God to give you a vision of what he has for you to do? Because he's a powerful God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. And he has a task for all of us to do. You may be sitting here tonight and you're retired and you think, oh, what can I do for God? It might be just as simple as talking to your neighbor, giving him a tract, inviting him to the church. You ask God what he wants you to do. He had a job for Nehemiah, and he has a job for all of us. Thank you.